Hi, ParCast listeners. It's Vanessa with some incredible news. You can purchase your copy of our book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, available now at parcast.com slash cults. Cults is an expanded look at the people who led and followed the most radical groups in history, with an unflinching exploration into what happens when the most vulnerable recesses of the mind are twisted into the lowest forms of malevolence. Details not featured on our podcasts. We're so proud to bring you this fantastic compilation of stories, and we're forever grateful for your support. Without you, none of this would be possible, so thank you. Visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. That's parcast.com slash cults to order today. This episode includes depictions of graphic violence, colonization, and brief discussions of sexual coercion. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story of a Korokamui. Today's episode combines features from a number of Ainu legends for dramatic effect. Hello, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week, we travel the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, exploring who they are, where they come from, and what they say about the culture they terrorized. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we're continuing our tour of international cryptids with a trip to the North Pacific. The water is cold here and dark, a fact that's never stopped fishermen and whalers from braving the waves. But there are worse things than whales in the deep. Things with tentacles 200 feet long. These tentacles are dotted with rows of suckers from root to tip, each sucker lined with a ring of tiny, razor-sharp teeth that lock into its prey. Once the tentacles have you, the squid pulls you towards its razor-sharp maw. At the very center sits a deadly beak with a bite strength of over 1,000 pounds. It's Japan's answer to the kraken, and it's even more aggressive. Coming up, we witness the origin of this tentacled terror. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The stories of Akoro Kamui, a crimson red tentacled monster that attacks boats in the Northwest Pacific, are not that hard to believe. After all, there are plenty of octopi and squids in these depths, and cephalopods can grow to immense sizes. Still, a Korokamui is a notably giant cephalopod. The first tales of this marine monster come from the Ainu, an indigenous group from the northernmost island in the Japanese archipelago, Hokkaido. They call it Atkor Kamui. This loosely translates to string-holding spirit, likely in reference to the creature's tentacles. If you're a regular listener, that word kamui may feel familiar. It's not too dissimilar to the concept of kami, nature spirits in Japanese tradition. The Ainu believe that elements of each individual kamui can be found spread out through nature. So parts of Atkor kamui exist in all squids and octopi. These separate elements can be sent back to their origin through ritual sacrifice. As in, sacrificed squids and octopi once again become parts of the larger god-slash-monster Atkor Kamui. And such offerings may appease the monster after a sighting or attack on a village fishing boat. The Ainu say that Atkor Kamui lives in Uchiura Bay, a port on the eastern side of Hokkaido's southern peninsula. Bordered by two volcanoes, this bay belongs to the tentacled creature, a gift from the Ainu god of the sea, Repun Kamui. This gift was supposed to stop Atkor Kamui's first reign of terror in a time long ago. But the nightmare didn't end. It only became more unpredictable. The bay belonged to Akoro Kamui. Akoro Kamui did not belong to the bay. They had been a spider once, striding the earth on eight crimson legs, 400 feet high. The world is far smaller for a giant spider, and it wasn't long before they had crawled and skittered from one end of Hokkaido to the other. They soon tired of the green hills and tall mountains, so they decided to venture into the fishing village below them. The small wooden structures, at least, were fun to crush. Akoro Kamui barely paid attention to the creatures beneath their feet until they heard a sound they hadn't heard before. At first, Akoro Kamui thought it was squeaking, but then it was higher, piercing, and desperate. It was screams. The crowd surged beneath Akoro Kamui like ants, leaping, stumbling, weeping. It was irritating. They all took up space in this world, some more so than others. If they wanted to survive, they only needed to get out of the way. Akoro Kamui helped them with a few well-placed flicks of its tree-trunk-sized legs, sending the pathetic creatures flailing through the air and into the sea. One of these ants was waving at Akoro Kamui from atop a rock. He was a tan young man with heavy eyebrows and a long beard. Interestingly, he seemed unbothered. His voice was booming, almost jolly. You are away from home, my spinning friend. Let me take you back where you belong. 
Okoro Kamui laughed. I do not want to go back where I belong. I am exploring. Who are you to tell me where to walk? The man gave a gallant bow. He seemed taller somehow, though Okoro Kamui couldn't explain why. I am Rapun Kamui. This is my sea. You are frightening the people beside it. Okoro Kamui did not understand this concept. They would have tilted their head if spiders could do such things. Your sea? Rapun Kamui looked confused. Yes, my sea. Don't you have something of your own? Okoro Kamui glanced at the mountain they'd come from. They did not, not really. There was a glint in Rapun Kamui's eye. Would you like one? The sea is vast. I can give you this bay, and you needn't worry about bothering the land dwellers. Okoro Kamui growled softly to themselves. I am a land dweller too. They stomped on a group of fleeing humans for emphasis, taking solace in the way their wailing cut off so abruptly. There was a glint in Rapun Kamui's eye. What if I could fix that as well? There is far more room beneath the waves. Okoro Kamui thought for a moment. They had been looking for a change of scenery, and Hokkaido was only an island after all. They accepted the sea god's terms. Okoro Kamui didn't shrink exactly, but the water did come up to meet them. Their brown, knobbled legs became languid and loose, rippling and stretching into a constellation of perfect round circles in neat little rows. They felt a tingling sensation as each ring appeared, sprouting tiny teeth inside it. The suckers pulsed restlessly, searching for something to hold on to, something to destroy. Their eight eyes slid towards each other like drops of water, forming two unblinking eyes that were twice the size of these humans' largest building. A hard-edged beak grew from Okoro Kamui's abdomen, as sharp as the stinger it had replaced. Their limbs had always been long, but now they were enormous. The rich red on their skin was mottled now with a deep clay tone. They felt their head growing longer, as if some invisible force had pulled their scalp, stretching it as far up as it would go. Then the sea closed over them. It was darker than Okoro Kamui had expected, and quiet. So wonderfully quiet after the wind and the screams. Okoro Kamui took stock of themselves. Their eyes were very large, fixed on their head so they had to turn to see. But how were they to turn? Their body did it without them thinking. Those long legs, arms, legs whipped through the water, searching until they encircled something whale-shaped. It was an orca with the same glittering eyes as Rapun Kamui. The whale spoke with his voice too. It seemed this god could transform from man to whale as easily as he'd turned a Korokamui from spider to squid. Hello again, swimming friend. Thank you for taking my offer. Why don't you go explore? Something about the sea god's tone made it clear that it was a command rather than a suggestion. 
Massive as Akoro Kamui was, they were no shapeshifter. There was a magic here that a beast like them did not understand. So they did as they were bid and swam out into the open ocean. Now an eight-armed, two-tentacled squid. The sea was so much bigger than the mountain. Okoro Kamui's gigantic eyes found every secret as they dove deeper and deeper. The fish and eels glowed beneath their belly, swimming as fast as they could. It was so easy to just snap and eat. The little glowing delicacies never seemed to run out. Okoro Kamui figured it was another of Rapun Kamui's tricks. He really had been very kind. After eating their fill, they set out to thank him. They found more than a few whales, but none of them were the right one, so Akoro Kamui ate them instead. When they'd searched all of the depths, they did the next logical thing. They breached the surface in their little bay. Well, they breached the surface as best they could. The bay was very deep, but not very wide. If a Korokamui raised their body too high, the piers on the shore would snap and sail into the air. Help me, help! There went the screaming again. A Korokamui didn't think it was fair. Rapun Kamui had said that it was their bay after all. But then a Korokamui realized there was only one person screaming. On the docks before them was a woman with hair the color of ink. She was crying, beating a uniformed man with her hands. I won't go! I'm already married! I don't even speak his language! Akoro Kamui ducked into the water to think where they could have been seen. This wasn't their affair. They didn't understand humans, and they didn't want to. But the anguish in the ink-haired woman's eyes was plain to see. It reminded Akoro Kamui of a monkey they had seen in the mountains, carrying the corpse of its child close to her chest for days at a time, chittering and crying. It was unpleasant. They looked around for Rapun Kamui. Sure, this was his purview. One of his land dwellers was upset, yet he was nowhere to be found. Akoro Kamui called his name into the marine abyss, and heard nothing. So they limbered up their sucker-covered arms and raised their yellow eyes above the waves. The water fell from their shiny skin, glinting with the morning sun, their unblinking eye fixed on the ink-haired woman again. Two men were dragging her away. Okoro Kamui reached out one long tentacle, and the fun began. Coming up, one monster tries to fight another. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa. I'm so excited to tell you that our first book is on sale now. This is such a big moment for the whole ParCast family, and we can't wait for you to read it. It's called Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. And you can purchase it today by visiting parcast.com cults. This is a passion project years in the making and only made possible by you. With your support, we've been able to get back to our storytelling roots. This time with a wealth of research and insights under our belt and intimate details not covered on our podcast before. Shame, exploitation, power. 
Cults unfolds the many motives behind groups like Nexium, Heaven's Gate, The People's Temple, and more, revealing eye-opening details which will surprise even the most devoted true crime fan. Visit parcast.com cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. That's parcast.com cults. And on behalf of everyone here at ParCast, thank you for joining us on this journey. We hope you enjoy. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now back to the story. The humans were screaming again. Okoro Kamui hoped they would get used to it eventually. Okoro Kamui couldn't have been clearer with their intentions. They picked up eight of the squealing creatures at once, gripping them with their suckers before feeding them into their beak. Okoro Kamui focused on the ink-haired woman. She and the men left holding her were staring, open-mouthed, as Okoro Kamui rose from the water. But the uniformed men still held her fast. These fools were not getting the message. It infuriated Okoro Kamui. Okoro Kamui's many arms swarmed the shore, poking through doorways and lifting up market stalls. But they spared one tentacle for these men. They tossed the first into their mouth. Then they took hold of another, lifting him into the air and squeezing until they felt him crunch. There was something so soothing about this, better than eating, eating with a purpose. They turned their tentacle inward to feed the still screaming man into their mouth. Their beak closed in on his torso with a satisfying crunch. The man's screams became moans. That was better. Okoro Kamui took their time, really feeling his squirms against their suckers. Their free tentacles curled at the sensation. It just felt so nice. They ate and ate and ate and ate. While they swallowed one man, they grabbed the next closest human and crushed them beneath the water again and again until Okoro Kamui shivered. Something was wrong. They lowered their tentacles, turning as slowly as they could to look left and right. The village was quiet, empty. The only motion came from the tattered cloths hanging above doorways and the weak lapping of the waves on the shore. The ink-haired woman's body floated in the shallows. They'd knocked her down. Okoro Kamui nearly slammed her onto the rocks as they tried to pick her up. For the first time in their long existence, they felt too large. They didn't know how to say they were sorry. They struggled to even comprehend that they were. But hunger grew inside them, a trench deeper than the sea below. There was no one left to eat but the ink-haired woman. So Okoro Kamui gobbled her up. It was better this way. That way, no monsters would get her. 
Time is strange when you live beneath the ocean. How can seasons change when the sun doesn't reach you? Still, a Korokamui checked the shore often enough to see their bay grow and change. The ships were heavier, the buildings taller. The two volcanoes puffed every decade or so. One hundred years passed. A Korokamui could track the time by the growing prayers and sacrifices. Tiny squids offered up by well-intentioned people. It was kind in its own way. Okorokamui visited the surface more than they should have. They avoided Repun Kamui. They did not want to be punished for trying to protect one of the sea gods' abandoned charges. So when he swam by in his ridiculous whale form, Okorokamui changed color to hide as best they could. If Repun Kamui could change their shape, who knows what he would do to them if they displeased him? Until one day, they saw something they'd never expected. There was an ink-haired child on the beach. She had the same dark eyes and long, lustrous hair as that ink-haired woman long ago. The same nose, the same hollow look, somehow weary at the age of 16. Was she 16? Humans aged so strangely, they stopped growing so early and just began to sag. Okorokamui kept their tentacles beneath the waves, trying to control themselves. What were they supposed to do about it, if anything? This girl lived in Okorokamui's bay, but she was Repun Kamui's responsibility, even if the sea god was here so rarely. Okorokamui didn't know the first thing about how to help her. They'd ruined it so badly last time. They'd been angry, so angry, and hungry. The whole thing had made them absolutely ravenous. They grabbed and crunched a swordfish that was swimming by. They were struggling to think. Perhaps it was best to simply observe. The girl walked towards the village. Okorokamui thrashed back and forth in the water, raising the waves on the shore, tortured by indecision. They waited, watching the girl visit her friends and buy fish at the market. The girl didn't grow the way Okorokamui had expected. Her hair got shorter, not longer. Then she grew a beard and a uniform. This was a puzzle. The water shifted beside them. Hello, swimming friend. Okorokamui jumped, sending a minor flood to one of the South Islands. Rapun Kamui made no comment on it, floating idly beside him in his orca body. This form was far smaller than Okorokamui, but they were sure that if they tried to grab the god, it would be the last thing they did. Rapun Kamui smiled, showing his toothy jaw. Isn't she interesting? She's joining up soon. Much better for her, as long as no one catches on. Okorokamui stared at him even more than usual. They asked what joining up was. Rapun Kamui laughed. The army, my stringy friend. The Russians are pushing south. She has no interest in the Japanese cause, as they have no interest in her people. But service in the army is the only opportunity they offer to the Ainu. Okorokamui had no idea what a Russian was. They just wanted to know what it meant for the girl. Their three hearts sank as Rapun Kamui explained, she's leaving. If she left the bay, Okorokamui wouldn't be able to see her, to help. Her ancestor had been so unhappy. 
Where's she going? Rapun Kamui whistled in warning. That's my realm, Akoro Kamui, not yours. Akoro Kamui tried to look as innocent as possible. I know that. I only want to know for curiosity, you know? Exploring. Rapun Kamui shrugged. Sushima. Akoro Kamui blinked. He clarified. Other side of the islands, south. Akoro Kamui kept their tone as steady as possible. Thank you for telling me. Rapun Kamui gave Akoro Kamui a friendly tap on his long head. My pleasure. Enjoy your exploring. He kicked his tail a few times and disappeared into the depths. Akoro Kamui watched the ink-haired child board a ship so large she needed a smaller one to get to it. The horn blew and it began to pull away. It was now or never. Akoro Kamui had to either let her go or disobey the god of the sea. They beat their tentacles up and down for a moment, considering how upset Rapun Kamui would be. Would he turn them into something else? Leave them stranded on the beach? Perhaps Akoro Kamui was overthinking this, and Rapun Kamui was also edible. With a soft push of their tentacles, Akoro Kamui left their bay. Okoro Kamui followed the steel ship south and around the islands. The taste of the water changed, oily and ashy. Huge shadows darkened the water, blocking out the sun with shapes that were almost as big as Okoro Kamui was. It did not seem like the sort of place that any sea creature was meant to be. But the ink-haired child was going to war. So Okoro Kamui would too. Coming up, Okoro Kamui turns the tide. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now back to the story. Okoro Kamui struggled to keep track of the ship. It looked like so many others, pointed steel ovals covered in the cloudiest kind of gray. They searched the deck for any sign of the ink-haired child, but they only caught snatches of their back before they needed to sink beneath the water to avoid detection. There were two sides to this battle, as best as Okoro Kamui could tell. The metal islands circled around each other slowly, like sharks waiting for a meal. But the meal was each other. Jets of fire erupted above Akoro Kamui. The water shook with explosions. Akoro Kamui had never been scared before, not for themselves. Their tentacles were hundreds of feet long. Their beak could pierce a hole in each of their little ships if they wanted to. But Akoro Kamui wasn't worried about themselves. Somewhere in the chaos, they'd lost track of the ink-haired child. 
Okorokamui swam through as carefully as they could, looking for their single Ainu in a sea of Russians and Japanese. Smoke choked the air and steel screeched. One ship collided with another. It teetered, slowly pulling to the side. One of the other ships turned, ready to finish it off. Okorokamui saw the child standing on the bow. She needed protection, and Okorokamui was ready. Okorokamui darted towards the surface just below the attacking ship, reaching out its tentacles. They broke the water like knives, slicing and striking at the humans up above. Okorokamui wrapped their tentacles around the steel ship and pulled. They shook the ship back and forth, trying to empty it of sailors. The screaming began again. Okorokamui told themselves they needed to control their strength. Control was relative, though, and there were lots and lots of ships. Okorokamui smashed through the battlefield, crushing one ship in its arms as it lifted another into the air. The ship tumbled head over tail, landing upside down in the water. Okorokamui slammed another tentacle down on it, rending it in half. The humans didn't even get a chance to scream as the waves swallowed them up. Shells hit the water beside Okorokamui, but they were nothing but ripples in the water. Some of the ships were stupid enough to ram them. While it hurt for an instant, Okorokamui recovered quickly. They seized the bows of these ships and forced them headfirst into the deep. Okorokamui had never felt so alive. They feasted on uniformed men, not caring where they came from or what color they wore. Something sharp pierced their side. Okorokamui turned with a screech. A harpoon was stuck in the vulnerable skin just above their right eye. The ocean roiled beneath Okorokamui as they turned, searching for the man brave enough to take on the protector of Uchiura Bay. Finally, they found him, standing on the deck of another nearby vessel. The man's mouth gaped open as Okorokamui's tentacle took hold, yanking him back towards Okorokamui's mouth. It had been too fast to really feel like revenge. At least there were more. Okorokamui lashed out with hit after hit, knocking a whole gunnery crew into the waves just so it could snatch them up, bouncing them against their metal deck before tossing them into their maw. Another harpoon sailed past them, barely missing Okorokamui's eye. They ducked beneath the water and looped a tentacle around, stretching to remove the weapon from their head as gently as possible. It might be best to play this cautious. Or they could just destroy everything they saw as quickly as they could. They threw their whole weight against battleship after battleship until steel, skin, and blood were raining down into the depths. They darted in and out of the shower of gore, snapping up bits and pieces. When they finally surfaced, they realized how quiet it was. There was only the waves and the wind. And the ink-haired child's ship, floating idly in the red, red water. Okorokamui's tentacles itched with energy, but they held fast. They'd kept the child safe. The child would understand that. 
The ink-haired child looked up at Okorokamui, her eyes wide, awed. She held up a small white shape. Okorokamui had to peer closer to see what it was. It was a tiny octopus, an offering for the Kamui of Uchiura Bay. Okorokamui flashed purple with excitement. They floated there, watching for what felt like eternity and no time at all. They felt proud. Okoro Kamui turned around and headed home, making sure to eat every single sailor on the way. The animal inspiration for Okoro Kamui is obvious. The North Pacific is filled with squid and octopi, and the first filmed sighting of a giant squid in its natural habitat occurred in Japanese waters in 2012. But it's Okoro Kamui's origin that makes it unique. The Ainu have a vibrant oral history, but no written language. The oral legends of Okoro Kamui include its beginning as a large spider transformed into an octopus or squid by the Kamui of the sea. But the main stories of Okoro Kamui attacks come from European missionaries visiting Japan in the 19th century. Anglican missionary John Batchelor reported in 1901 that a group of swordfish fishermen returned to their village in a panic. They'd been attacked by a great sea monster with large staring eyes that released a dark fluid with a very powerful and noxious odor. Batchelor surmised that it was an octopus, but he watched as the village contacted the Kamui of the sea, offering up prayers and sacrifices for protection. The Anglican priest dismissed it as panic, paranoia, and paganism. To him, Okoro Kamui was a threat that could be reasoned away. But Okoro Kamui is an entity that no colonizer, Japanese or English, could control. Perhaps that's why the beast's attacks kept coming. The Japanese banned important Ainu practices like bear worship and facial tattooing over the course of the 19th century. They forced Ainu women into marriages with visiting Japanese workers, even women who were already married to fellow Ainu. But they couldn't stop Okoro Kamui attacks. And frightening as they were, for that reason, the attacks served as a reminder that Kamui worship and the Ainu way of life was a deep, natural truth. One that would survive no matter what occupiers did to the Ainu. Often, a giant squid is just a giant squid, but sometimes it's the only protection against a far greater monster. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another international cryptid. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jen Rache, edited by Robert Teamstra and Nora Battelle, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Travis Clark. I'm Vanessa Richardson.
Listeners, remember to visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's on sale today, and I can't wait for you to dive in. Nexium, The Branch Davidians, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults takes you beyond the headlines for an intimate look at the sordid beginnings and deadly ends of the most radical groups in history. Details never heard on our show before. If you love our cult series or any of our true crime podcasts, this book is for you. Without your loyalty and support, none of this would be possible. So we truly hope you enjoy. Visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's on sale and ready to read right now. Order today at parcast.com slash cults. Cults.